One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello everyone and welcome to The Bubbling Adventure, a podcast all about kids and how educating them positively can impact their entire life as well as society. Each week, we're having conversations with guests on different themes and our aim is to have open discussions, share different points of view and learn in a non-judgmental way. Today, we're welcoming Dr. Pearl who will tell us how she's raising her two kids to be bilingual And this is a very special episode for me, as I've known her my whole life. She's part of my family, and she's the one who really inspired me to learn English and move abroad, as I've seen her and her husband move to various places. I like that she lets her kids learn at their own pace. I think that's very positive. And if you do enjoy this conversation as much as I did, the best way to support this podcast is to subscribe if you haven't already, and write a review if you're listening from Apple Podcasts. Now, of course, this is a podcast about positive education, so you may hear kids playing in the background. But without further ado, let's begin. Hi Sandrine, how are you today? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you for joining us for today's episode. My pleasure, yes. Great, so to start, could you please introduce yourself? My name is Sandrine Perle, I'm French. I currently live in Madison, Wisconsin, and I have two children, two sons, Ian who is 10 and Emile who is 7. I'm married to a man who is from Minnesota, Dan. Uh, my husband and uh, I recently got a PhD in a second language acquisition and I am working in university training teachers a bit complicated here I'm working in a teacher education program for teachers who are becoming uh, ESL certificated so teachers who want to work with uh, ESL students English language learners well that's amazing and so what inspires you to become a teacher I had a really amazing experience in elementary school. I had a teacher, I was in a school, which is in French, it's called Class Unique. So it was a small school in a small village with maybe 300 people in the village. And there were about 15 to 20 children in the school. 
and one teacher. The children were aged between three and 11, so all grades all together in one room. And it was just the most wonderful experience. Younger children would be would learn with older children. The teacher was uh, really wonderful at creating a community where everyone was learning from each other. And she was really warm. She had just the most beautiful smile. Um, she was from Tunisia. She was just really warm and colorful. And I became very close to her. And I've always, I think I always told myself that one day I'll be like her. And it's a bit of a cliche, but really she, she greatly inspired me. Yeah, I think I've, as far as I remember, I've always wanted to be a teacher. Wow, sounds like a good teacher. And so when you were younger, you met your husband, Dan. Did you both know that you wanted to build a family together? How, how did it go? So actually, when I met Dan, uh, he didn't want to have children. He told me, the first time I talked about children, he said, ask me again in 10 years. And I did. And we had been together for 10 years when we had our first child. So he was true to his word. But what actually the thing we had in common with Dan first was we both wanted to be volunteers to work abroad and to teach. When I met him, he was finishing his PhD in Irish literature and he had just done a course to teach English abroad. And I had also done my master of teaching French uh, as a foreign language. So that was really what, I mean, many other things, but that was one strong common point. We had this desire to go and work as volunteers together abroad. And so for 10 years, we traveled and we worked in China, in India, in Morocco. And then we finally, when we settled down, that's when we had our first son, Ian. But at first, he he wasn't very keen on having a family. He he had no, in my family, I have three uh, brothers. I come from a family with a lot of children. I was always around children. My mother had a, a nannying business, so I was always surrounded by children. He was not. He only has one older sister and no younger cousin. No. So he, he really, we joke, he said he was a baby virgin, actually. And I think the first baby he ever had was Lou, a cousin of us. Oh, really? Yes, yes. I could see that he was getting, he was warming up to the idea of having children. I never really doubted that eventually would get there but at the beginning it was um, not yeah that's not something he was um, really dreaming about oh wow interesting and you're into positive education was it something that you decided before having a kid or did it evolve through the years um so in my case i have a really toxic relationship with my mother and almost no relationship with my father. So when I was pregnant, I was quite worried about what my relationship with my children would be. Um, I was actually terrified to have daughters and that's, I would have been over the moon, but I was worried. I thought, gosh, that mother-daughter relationship, how am I going to handle it? Because mine is so, so poor. But because I, I, I kind of felt I had to do things differently, and that's, again, maybe a, a cliche, but I just wanted to not repeat some of the things that I really suffered from. And the main one was to build trust and respect, to have a respectful relationship with my children. And I think that's really what was central to what I, what I wanted to achieve was to, to have a relationship with my children that was based on these simple principles, because I felt that's what was really missing from my relationship with my mother. 
And it also became natural because Dan has a very sweet relationship with his parents. He has a really amazing mother, very loving. I often joke that she's a saint. Actually, she's one of the kindest person I know. So he had that as a model. I had something very different, but I think he also inspired me to to be very kind and also vulnerable, I would say. I was willing to be vulnerable because I felt I did. Because I didn't have a great model, I didn't really know what I was doing at first. And I was willing to admit I didn't know what I was doing. And I still do with my children. Sometimes I'm, I admit that I have shortcomings, that I'm not perfect, that I'm learning. And sometimes I make mistakes. But it's being vulnerable and honest about it, I think, is also uh, not pretending I know everything I'm doing and I'm right all the time. Um, it's, I think that's a, that's a really uh, important part for me. Thank you so much for sharing. I think it's very brave of you to face the past and, you know, take the time to really analyze it and think about it and really work on it so that you don't replicate the same mistakes and you move forward. Um, mm -hmm. So that's very brave of you. Uh, and so you're French and your husband is American and your kids are bilingual. Could you please tell us if that was an obvious mm -hmm. decision for the both of you or how did you decide and how did you introduce um, the two languages to your kids? So for me, it was always really obvious because I was, it was obvious to me that I was going to speak French to my children. I would say that English has become my dominant language and has been my dominant language for almost my entire adult life. I've worked in, Engl in English-speaking countries through or through English, but it was very clear from the beginning that I would want to speak French to my children because it's really the language of emotion, the one that I can relate the most um, Yeah, the, the one that I can really truly express my feelings and all the little things, you know, singing, singing lullabies, all the nursery rhymes, all of that. I knew that in French, so I was not going to do it in English, not knowing um, the language of, yeah, of love and of children. Yeah, and the connection that you have. Yes, the connection as well. I think that it's so, there is such a strong connection between language and your emotions and your identity. And it would have been kind of fake to do it in, a, in another language for me. And I think for Dan, it was the same. He's, when I met Dan, he didn't speak French, but he, he, became, he became bilingual. He's, he's really fluent in French too, but it also made more sense. It, just the same, he felt like it felt more natural to him to speak in English. So it, it kind of happened naturally. And then as I started my PhD in second language acquisition, everything I studied reinforced that my decision was the right one, that children have absolutely no, there is no limit for children to learn several languages, that it's a, it's a myth that children will be confused if we speak different languages. They, they really are capable of absorbing many languages and they associate languages with people and context and it's They've never been confused, my children. I no, and no children are ever confused. So everything I've read after that really reinforced my decision. Right. And so I know there are a lot of different ways of doing it. Like, for example, some couples would choose, let's say, you would only speak French to your kids and Dan would only speak English to them. Uh, but yes, I know there are a lot mm. of different organizations. So how did it work for you? Did you speak? French to them as soon as they were born? How, how did it yeah. work? 
Yeah, so that's a really good question. And I've, uh, as much as I strongly believe in the fact that I should speak French and that that's the right decision, there is no absolute separation of languages. In our house, it's, it's very fluid. It's like so many in so many bilingual families and for so many bilingual people. It's not like we have two separate boxes, French and English. It's much more fluid than that. And I've always wanted to respect that. And actually, when I started my PhD in the second language acquisition program here, I was asked to go and pick up a professor who was coming to, uh, to give a talk at my university. And I didn't know her. So I went to pick her up and I was chatting with her. Ian was, my first son was maybe two or yeah, two at the time. And he was just starting to talk and I was curious about how she was approaching. I knew that she lived in, in Canada and I knew that she had a bilingual family. And I asked her what kind of rules she applied in our family. And she said, no rules. In our family, the rule is no rule. You, that's one place where children should be safe to speak whatever language they feel comfortable with and everyone should feel safe. And that, that's the last. There are so many places where it's regulated, like schools or like... Uh, the workplace. So, so that really stuck with me, this idea of having no rule. And it also felt natural because, again, I really know that there is a strong connection between your language and your identity, and it goes very deep. So uh, preventing someone to speaking the language they want is very violent, actually. It's, it's a violence. It's like it's preventing someone from being who they choose to be and how they choose to express themselves. So yeah, my, my rule is really no rule. And I naturally speak French to my kids, but it's also context-related. If, for example, this morning we at breakfast, we were talking about Black Lives Matter, and my son with seven was saying all lives matter, and of course we were not going to let him go by with that. So we, we had this discussion in English, maybe with some French word thrown in, but because the context is so much, it's all happening in English for us, and it so, makes more sense to, to talk about it in English, but more about the way people feel, but... And I know that my children have always responded in English to me, and I understand that it makes sense because that's the language that they use most of the time with their friends, with their peers. So again, it would ask, it would be asking them to be some someone different if I insisted that they spoke French. Exactly, right. So basically, you speak French to them, and most of the time they answer in English, right? Yes. And that's fine. I think. That's okay. It's part of the process they choose, um, but th do they do they speak French sometimes? Yes, French. So um, I know that French is one of their language. They understand completely everything I say. Uh, very often, if I say something very complex to them in French, they turn to their father and repeat in English like all the subtleties. So they they really have an amazing grasp. Of French and it's one of their languages and the definition of bilingual is also something that is very controversial for some being bilingual is like mastering two languages exactly at the same level but it's it's a myth because nobody does that it's really it's context related it's like for example I could not talk about my research in French I'm a native French speaker which another term I'm not very fond of native but I I couldn't do that in French because I wrote my PhD in English and I did all my research in, in, in English, all the readings. So yes, to me, they are bilingual because French is a language that's part of their daily life and it's one that they, they can understand. So, and they do through some French words in English. There are words that make more sense to, to them in French. So for example, they would say, uh, Ian did a bêtise. Bêtise is, you know, it has much more meaning in French. 
or there are little words like all the words of comfort, like pantoufle, slippers, or a lot of little words are thrown in in French. And also when we go to France after a few days or weeks, especially for Ian, who is 10 now, the last time he went, he, he was able more and more to, um, to use his French and he had the, he had the motivation and the, the basis. Inspiration yes. also. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's great. And were they ever, I don't want to say difficulties, but were they ever, was it always a positive experience for your family to have two languages or were, they, were there ever miscommunications or something like that? So I can think of two challenges. The first one is that with that myth of bilingual people are people who use two languages exactly the same. For my mother, for example, my children are not, not bilingual. And she resents the fact that when I speak to them in, in French, they respond in English. So she sees that as a failure on my part not to have been able to teach them French. And she would cite, you know, maybe something she's seen on TV where the entire family speaks French all the time. And again, imposing, um, regulating the language use at home, uh, which I we've never done and I don't want to start doing. So trusting that and knowing that they are bilingual and that they have that gift and that's never gone away and they will do what they want with it. They'll be able to take it where they want. I mean, French is there for them if they want to explore it more and to use it. And the other aspect is also they are enrolled at school as English language learners because they speak another language at all. And that, that has its challenges because they are they can be easily labeled as deficient because they speak another language at home in the US and in France and maybe in the UK as well. Um, there is this idea that if children speak another language at home, it's going to slow down their learning of English. Um, and it is such a misconception because bilingual children have a much better linguistic awareness. They actually, my children speak English, they are really articulate in their English and they've started using adverbs and very descriptive language early on. And I really believe that it's because they have more than one language and they are aware of that linguistic um, diversity and they have overall a better linguistic awareness. So, um, but at school it can be uh, an issue. I think unfortunately with Ian, there was a little bit of tracking going on that he was seen, oh, he's an English language learner, so maybe he's not capable of going in some other programs, or he's not, and he was labeled, yeah, he, he received some, um, some support um, for reading. The problem with Ian is that he also had a, he wasn't dyslexic, he's not dyslexic, but he had a really hard time starting reading, and that was also misinterpreted as, oh, it's because at home there is French, it's always an easy, uh, an easy explanation. And because of that, he was part of a group of students who were also English language learners who were using baby books to learn. So he was kind of labeled like that. And he felt, for him, it was hard. It was hard. I, I still, I don't regret the fact that they were enrolled as English language learners because they were around other students who, like them, had another culture and language at home. And that was really rich. And they have said how much they value being able to interact with people from all over the world that way. But that, that was a bit hard. For Emil, it was easier because he's just reading to him became more natural. But also, yeah, he, he was lucky to have a teacher, the bilingual, the bilingual resource specialist, 
was working with an advanced learning specialist and they identified that Emil was very advanced in his learning for math, for example, so he was able to go to advanced math. Not that I want my kids to always be placed in, you know, the, the most advanced cl uh, class or group, but it's, it, it was a pity that for Ian there was that deficit view that stuck with him for quite a while. Mm -hmm. And so you think it's because that teacher saw that he was bilingual that he got put into that category or treated differently? Yeah, the, the fact is a lot of bilingual kids don't perform well at school because they are not supported in their bilingual literacy. They, are not, they don't receive the enough explicit instruction for English and also What happens is that when they go to school, it's um, what we call sub subtractive bilingualism, which is they come into the school with a home language that is different from English, and then English is imposed, and then their home language is taken away. Uh, so they end up learning only English, but not with the not in a way that supports their learning. Learning for a bilingual kid looks different than from, from a native uh, English speaker. They do learn differently and they need different support. So that's just the fact that school fails those students. So it's not that bilingual students are less capable, it's just that the system is not uh, adapted to their needs. Right, and speaking of support, was there anything specific that you and Dan had to implement, you know, for example, where school was failing? Was there something you would be doing to compensate? So I did not do, I know that some, um, some Francophone friends have, for example, they, they did distance learning in French, like they supported the, their kids by literacy. Um, I read to my children in French. I still read to them in French a lot. Uh, but my children are not biliterate. That means they, they can't read and write in French yet. I mean, Ian started using Duolingo. I'm skeptical about learning a language on a, on a computer. But yes, that, that did not happen. I mean, um, as a working, we are both working. I was doing a PhD. It would have been possible, I guess, could have taken the time to teach them how to read and write. Unfortunately, that's not, that wasn't an option at school. There are some dual language immersion programs, but in Spanish and in Chinese, not in French. So they did not receive that in, uh, at school and I didn't provide that, uh, that by literacy. Yeah, and I mean, maybe one day they'll want to. Yes. Like, for example, Jan picking up Duolingo, that's great because then he's going at his own pace and is not rushed or anything. And, you know, I remember even learning how to read in French and that was hard enough. Yeah, and they won't start from zero. I mean, French is definitely a language that they are... It's part, of, it's part of their linguistic repertoire, definitely. So it's not like it's a foreign language to them. Right. And do you think that writing your PhD on that subject helped in any way or changed your vision? Do you think it had an impact? Yes. Yeah, I'm very grateful that I had, I've, because everything I've read really reinforced the, the fact that it's, it's not a hindrance, it's not a handicap to have another language, it's totally the opposite. Every research shows that, and not just the co cognitive aspect, but also the social, and the, I mean, it has so many benefits that it reinforced the, this decision, but I'm glad I did, because at times it can be hard. For example, when Ian was struggling at school, and was positioned as a deficit learner because he had another language at home. I think that for many parents, that's 
that's really scary. And some of them, I know some of them stop speaking their home language, which is just really unfortunate for all the emotional aspect, because how can you relate emotionally on a deep level to your child speaking your language that's not your, your first language? That can really put some distance between you and your child. Or, or some parents also feel guilty. They blame themselves. They think, oh, wow, it's because I speak Spanish at home, my, ch- my child is failing at school. It's my fault. And I've heard that. And I, in my research, I've um, I've interviewed several parents who feel that way. And actually, my doctor was asking me some literature because he was convinced that I was doing the right thing, speaking French to my kids. And he wanted to uh, help other parents feel confident in that field. So I was able to share some articles that show that it is really only beneficial, really, in, in the long term. There, are, there can be challenges, but nothing that really should discourage you from, from keeping doing that. Amazing. Well, that's inspiring for the future. And so the last question is, if you have any piece of advice that you would like to share? Um, well, I think what I mentioned earlier, it's um, with children building a, a relationship on communication, really opening up, like keeping communication open and respect. And to me, it can't be about power. I'm more powerful than you and I know and I'm right and you listen because you're my kid. It's much more co-constructed and Finding, finding what works best for everyone and talking about it and being vulnerable and being open to changing what you perceive is right and changing ways of doing things. And because I don't think there is a, a unique way of raising children, uh, nobody has a magic recipe and it all depends on who they are as well. So really finding, finding a, a way of being that works for everyone. And also seeking, I, I do ask my children how they feel about how we do things as well. And I t- take into account how they feel. And, and I, I don't see that as them taking over. I think that we, it's also giving them credibility and like they, they matter, their, their feelings matter. And uh, that's... Grow together. Uh, yes. Well, sounds like a dream. <laughs> Very nice. No, not always. It's not. I mean, there is a lot. It's messy. It's super messy. No, of course. But it's worth it. But then you have to communicate. Yeah, it's worth it. I do feel that we have a good relationship with our kids because it's it's very open. And I even if we argue and we always make up and we always we're close. Yeah, that's well amazing. Thank you again for joining this episode today. It was very inspiring and interesting to hear a, a more positive mm-hmm. approach to raising your kids bilingual. So thank you again. Thank you. Thank thank you, Julie. Thank you so much for listening. Feel free to share if you think it might be helpful to someone you know. If you enjoyed this episode, then please make sure to write a review if you're listening on Apple Podcast and subscribe if you haven't already. That's it for me. See you soon with the next episode. And in the meantime, have a lovely day. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.